You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 9. Today we are in Alto de Belefique. Is Mass a bigger worry than Bernal now, Primos? At the, at the moment, seems like, huh? Uh, I, I don't, I did, I didn't saw really uh, the results yet. But uh, yeah, like I said, it's still uh, super long, and uh, yeah, everything uh, will go upside down uh, for sure in the in the next uh, ten days. And uh, yeah, at the end, after the time trial, uh, we will know then, uh, yeah, who was actually the best. Hello, my name's Richard Moore. I'm with Lionel Burney. Good evening, Richard. And uh, Daniele Fribrancini, or um. Daniel Friberico suggests Paul Hunt. We've had another suggestion as well. Daniel Fibra. That's Anders Hoffman on Twitter. So the suggestions are coming thought, in for your Spanish alter ego. I thought Fribos Man was better. Maybe if I was if I was South American. Or if I rode for Bora. Where are you, uh, Friberico? Well, chaps, I am at the press room. Just come down from the top of the Alto de Velefique and the press room is about halfway down the mountain today or actually a bit a bit further than that because it's just outside the little town village of Velefique and in fact just under my feet almost because I'm sitting on a kind of balcony. Um, I've seen the Ineos Grenadiers uh, little sort of people carry go past with Egan Bernal in the front. Just uh, for carrying little people, little people carrier. There's a metaphor there, is there, for uh, Ineos under the feet of, I don't know, we heard um, Primoz Roglic at the start there talking about Enric Mas and whether he is now the rider he most fears at this at this Vuelta. It was a, it was a big shootout today, wasn't it? Much anticipated stage and uh, lots of climbing and... Uh, it revealed something perhaps uh, that we haven't seen yet about how this welter may go. Bit of a humdinger, chaps? I think so. Yeah, it was a bit of a humdinger. There weren't too many surprises, were there? And I guess it just confirmed that, that Roglic is certainly the man to beat. Um, and for a while it looked as if, you know, Bahrain Victorious might be playing a bit of a blinder. But um, we'll, g- we'll get on to all that, won't we? As, we? as we discuss what happened. But I don't know, was that a humdinger, Lionel? Yeah, I thought it was, actually. I thought there was a lot going on, wasn't there? Um, so I'll try and simplify it in the tale of the etapa. Stage 9 to Alto de Velafique, 188 kilometres. And it took a long while for the break to really go, didn't it? Um, there was a lot of attacking in the first 60, 70 kilometres. In fact, one of the very early attackers was Wout Paul's of Bahrain Victoria, showing that they meant business, trying to get people up the road. And it was their rider, Damiano Caruso, who was second in the Giro earlier this season and who won a very memorable mountain stage on the final Saturday, which you chaps will remember well, who won the stage. He got into a move that went clear just under 100 kilometres to go and then went clear on his own with 71 kilometres still to the finish and built a sizeable lead. He was homing in on uh, moving up the GC. Uh, He started the day over six minutes down. The lead got to sort of four and a half or so over the Roglic group, but that got chiselled down, of course, as they got onto the very long final climb. Caruso was at one point being sort of chased by various groups. Roman Bardet was in the mix at one point, Geoffrey Bouchard was there at one point, but the Italian had more than enough time in hand and strength in the legs to hold on. 
and he was a minute clear of the GC battle that came behind him. A very impressive stage win for Caruso. And what about that GC race? Well, Ineos Grenadiers, or more to the point, Adam Yates tried to turn the screw on Roglic with a series of attacks on the last climb. The first person to mark him was Movistar's Miguel Angel Lopez. Sepp Kuss was also very alert for Jumbo Visma. Roglic held his nerve and then rode across, I thought, in really impressive style uh, around about a kilometre after Yates's first attack. And that sort of set up the finish. There was a lot of toing and froing. Mass stuck to Roglic like glue. Yates tried a couple more times to go again, uh, but it did feel like with each attack that a little bit of sting was going out of uh, Yates's potency. And the net result was that his teammate, Egan Bernal, was looking in difficulty. He was taking longer to stay on terms. And in fact, when one of the splits happened, he was sort of helped by the fact that they caught Geoffrey Bouchard because he was almost a life raft for Bernal to kind of jump onto and then bridge across and and stay in touch with the leaders. And then it really boiled down to Mass, Roglic and Yates. And then all of a sudden, Yates wasn't there anymore. And so Roglic and Mass moved clear and they are on today's evidence the strongest two riders in the race and that means that Roglic is now obviously still in the red jersey 28 seconds ahead of Enric Mass. Mass's teammate Miguel Angel Lopez of the Movistar team is at 121. Behind them Jack Haig very impressive again for Bahrain victorious and he is up to fourth place overall. Egan Bernal and Adam Yates move up on GC but actually slip down in terms of the time gap to Roglic. And what else? Well, Felix Grosschartner of Bora Hansgrohe, uh, he didn't live up to my expectations that he might stay in the GC hunt. Uh, he slipped down from second to ninth overall. And Caruso is also in the King of the Mountains jersey, isn't he? Because uh, he took maximum points at the top. Roman Bardet is second. And Pavel Sivakov, who did a lot of work for Ineos on the final climb, is now third in that competition. So shaping up nicely. Roglic versus Movistar, it looks like the, the Movistar threat is very potent, but they did lose Johan Jacobs today and are down to six men, and that might limit their options a bit. Who knows? You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, the cycling podcast title sponsors. If you'd like to find out more about them, go to supersapiens.com. If you'd like to win a three-month supply of the hatches that stick on your arm and give a continuous glucose level to the Super Sapiens app, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and find out how you can enter and win three months access to Super Sapiens and see what it's all about for yourself. Now we've been talking to Aska Jurkendrup who is a sports scientist and nutritionist for the Jumbo Visma team and the Super Sapiens app gives continuous glucose levels so you can see how your body is responding to the food that you eat and the exercise that you're doing and a question we asked Aska is this could two people eat the same meal 
and have a different glucose response? I wouldn't say radically different, but quite different. For example, if we give you a lower glycemic index food, like a food that doesn't give a large insulin response and a large glucose response, and me and we, we then eat a high glycemic index food, then we would probably both have a higher response with a higher glycemic index food. But it could still be that you respond much more to these foods than, uh, than I do. So the magnitude of change could be quite different between you and I. The general principles that we've learned over many years of research, they, they still apply, but the individual responses can still be quite different. Well, I think in this episode, we're going to be talking quite a lot about teams, aren't we? Um, the sort of four big teams, Jumbo Visma, Bahrain Victorious, Movistar and Ineos Grenadiers. And there's lots to say about how all of them got on today. But the winners of the stage were Bahrain Victorious. In fact, you know, there you spoke um, before the Vuelta, uh, Daniel, about their, their incredible midfield and their uh, their striker was going to be Mika Landa. Landa is now the fourth best Bahrain victorious rider on GC. So their options, their cards have been shuffled quite a lot. And Jack Haig at the moment looks to be the, the best place rider. You spoke to him at the start this morning, Daniel. Yes, I did, Rich. We were intrigued to see what they were going to plan today. There was some talk that on the, it wasn't the penultimate climb, it was three climbs from the end, the Collado de Venta Luisa, which was the hardest climb of the race, certainly in terms of, or the stage today, certainly in terms of gradient. There was some talk, some suggestion that they might be the team most likely to light it up there. That was one of the strategies they could have employed. There were other options as well, and yeah, I was keen to hear from Jack Haig um, about exactly what they were planning. So I think I'm on less than a minute now, so I think if uh, anyone lets me up the road, it could be pretty dangerous. But there's uh, a lot of uh, other guys and other teams that are in similar situations. We have three guys that are looking for the break with uh, Padun, Gino uh, and uh, Damiano. The hardest climb on the course today is the penultimate one, or the steepest anyway. It looks the perfect place for a team to take it on and be really aggressive there. You could be the team, couldn't you, with the, the number of strong climbers that you've got? No, absolutely. I think uh, we have that penultimate climb, like you said, and then there's also this middle section with a very short climb. It's uh, the smallest road we have all day. It's quite twisty, and I think uh, you can really put some people under pressure here, and it'll probably really depend on the breakaway composition as to who will take it up. Well, chaps, Jack Haig's crystal ball proved to be more accurate than one of our podcasts, didn't it? At least 60%, um, because he... he pretty accurately foretold events there by mentioning the fact that the team barring victorious probably wanted to get someone in a break that was that sounded like option a plan a plan a turned out to be damiano caruso who has kept a pretty low profile so far in this in this vuelta Espana um, because as you say rich he's sort of surrounded submerged in this very deep midfield that they've got they've got um several very strong climbers um who are all going fairly well it seems and yeah Caruso had, had passed pretty much unnoticed but he was he was the ideal man so that was one of the talking points certainly this morning in Puerto Lumberas one other thing that was a hot topic of discussion was well it was going to be the tactical battle between Ineos Grenadiers and Jumbo Visma there, there's been there have been murmurs over the last few days about how strong Jumbo Visma have not looked that they've looked a little bit porous. Stephen Kreiswijk, well, I spoke to him this morning, and, and he's 
he was quite open about the fact that he's not going too well. Sepp Kuss has, has been a little bit fitful at times. And I think Egan Bernal and Ineos had smelled a bit of blood in the water. Um, certainly after the other day staged at Balcon de Alicante. And in fact, our audio diarist Pavel Sivakov sort of confirmed that to me this morning. Oh, we saw it actually. Uh, okay, I was in the front, but then uh, I heard from the guys... Uh, that uh, the last mountain stage, uh, the one that finished in, uh, in Balcon de Alicante, was uh, sure that uh, Jumbo were a bit under pressure there. Uh, we had Sepp in the front, but behind he was a bit isolated when Valverde went. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think uh, the race could have been differently in terms of GC if Valverde would have stayed upright. I think uh, I would have dropped down and Carlos Verona would have dropped down from the breakaway. So, uh, yeah, I think could have been some gaps there. So, definitely, I think uh, the two, like uh, us and Movistar, will we'll, we'll, uh, try to look for an opportunity to, uh, to isolate uh, Roglic. It's very interesting to think about Bahrain and Ineos and their respective tactics because Caruso said at the start that he, he was thinking about the stage win. You know, he, he wasn't too far. Has he been in a holding role in this Vuelta so far? I don't know, but if we're using sort of football analogies, but he, he wasn't too far down overall. And there was a moment today where it looked like he was, you know, doing what Jack Haig did the other day and propelling himself right back up on GC to give them them another option there. But it all hinges on how well your leader's going. And as I mentioned earlier, Landa has, has slipped down. I mean, Landa could be the guy to go in breakaways um, now. You know, he's almost six minutes down on, on GC, not really a threat anymore. They've still got lots of bodies up there. Gino Mader is the other one who's still up there. But Barry and Victorious don't seem to be riding as if they're trying to win this Vuelta. Whereas Ineos Grenadiers do seem to be, I have at least until now, seem to be riding uh, to try and win the Vuelta. But I think we can we can ask a lot of questions about their tactics today because if if they smelled weakness in Jumbo Visma, I, I didn't really understand why they were riding the the, the way that they were. Um, Tom Pidcock was very visible, um, making you know making things quite hard. They had the whole team on the front, um, riding as if they had the red jersey, and did seem to to my untrained eye to be doing Jumbo Visma's job for them. You know. With Caruso up the road and gaining a lot of time, that was a kind of sticky moment for Jumbo Visma, and they should have been the team chasing it, I thought. And that might have isolated Roglic a bit earlier. Not that I think it would have mattered in the end, because Roglic is, you know, almost doesn't need the team support when it, you know, on the, on the final mountain. Um, but it was an odd tactic, I thought. I didn't really understand it, and it obviously um, backfired in the end because. Bernal didn't have the legs in the end and Yates didn't have the legs either to go with Roglic and Mass. No, it's a very thin line this, isn't it? Between putting pressure on the overall leader and his team and doing their work for them. And yeah, it's the, the result sheet at the end of the day uh, determines how we evaluate all of that work. I mean, they were clearly trying to make it um, hard to set up some kind of move. I, I think they'd perhaps be a little bit disappointed with Richard Carapaz, who, you know, c- couldn't really contribute. You know, they didn't really have the sort of the, the the second rider to at least help Bernal when he was struggling. You know, make, be around Bernal uh, when Adam Yates was putting on the pressure. But I mean, it was conventional enough stuff from them, really, wasn't it? The the second best placed rider on the general classification, Adam Yates, trying to stretch things, trying to put Roglic under pressure 
with the assumption that Bernal can just follow wheels behind and just sit tight and, and maybe counter-attack or capitalise a bit later on if there are any chinks in Roglic's armour. But the big problem, as you always say, Rich, is if the, the leader in the race doesn't falter, doesn't crack and is looking like you know by not some distance the strongest because i think mass is pretty close to him but those two are a little bit better than everybody else at the moment and uh the the difficulty is that you've got to crack the leader and it's it is quite hard to see how they're going to do that in eos now with bernal 152 down and yates 207 down movistar have a much better chance of that with having Mass and Lopez both within 121, and Mass, of course, you know, within 30 seconds makes him a real danger. But yeah, it's uh, I, I thought it was kind of you know tactical handbook page one really from Ineos. They were trying to make it hard, send Yates up the road, and then see see what happens. And had Bernal been better, we could have been you know looking at a very different picture. You know, Bernal might have put a bit of pressure on Roglic, but again. You don't know how good the legs are going to be until that you know push comes to shove, do you? You know they wouldn't have done that thinking, oh well, we'll crack our own man. That wasn't what they were trying to do. It's it's impossible to know until the crunch comes. Do you think, chaps? You taught their line about making it hard. Do you think in their rose-tinted crystal ball, the scenario they saw, they foresaw was maybe on that. Um, third to last climb, the Collada de Venta Luisa, that Sam Omen wasn't there. Um, he they'd got rid of him. Kreiswijk, maybe even they'd got rid of him. Possibly even Sepkus, certainly Kern Bauman and Roglic was left with possibly only one of the teammate, maybe Kuss. And they, at that point, would have Carapaz, Yates and Bernal. I mean, Carapaz, who has lost time uh, on several stages, but he's still, you know, he was still only two or three minutes down this morning. Still a danger, still someone that Jumbo Visma would, would want to follow. Do you think that was... Their their sort of Pollyanna scenario, the the, the the Goldilocks scenario that they envisaged. I guess it would have been um, certainly to isolate Roglic well before the final climb, and and but it depends, doesn't it, on having three riders there that you mentioned, two two or three riders who are are you know almost the equal of Roglic, um, and it, it's clear that Roglic is is just much better. You know when he had to make an effort today to. To bridge a gap that looked a bit dangerous, I think it was it was Adam Yates and Lopez at that point, and Roglic just motored across. Um, there was no, you know, when he had to 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 do that, he he did it. He does look to be by far the best rider in the race, and that makes it obviously very difficult for any other rider or team to take him on. It's very difficult, isn't it? I I mean, but it was a curious looking tactic, and they did stop, you know, when they realised. I think that it wasn't having the desired effect that Roglic did still have his teammates around him. I guess the other talking point, chaps, is the, the timing of Yates's attacks. And, well, we don't know what messages were being exchanged at that point. And we have sort of conjectured, imagined that there might be difficulty in communication with with this three-leader strategy. We said it already at the Tour de France that this might be one peril of going into the Tour with that, with that strategy. And, in fact... After the finish this afternoon, I did sort of prod Sepp Kuss on that um, because he was there with the Ineos riders, and this is what he said. I, I think they had had to try something for sure, but uh, I mean, from our side, we were 
we uh, were really strong. We, we had a lot of guys left in the group. We just did our own race, and then uh, as for Ineos, it's, it's sometimes hard to communicate amongst the, the... If you have multiple leaders, you know, if one's feeling really good and the other is not so much, then that can sometimes uh, clash a little bit. I mean, to be fair to Ineos, I thought Adam Yates looked really, really good. I mean, perhaps that's... Uh, the, the sort of the, the bias of the fact that he is a dynamic looking rider on climbs like that he, you know he's out of the saddle he's you know um, looks looks pretty good and he had people stretched out behind him a bit and for a while I thought if he can perhaps go again he might you know the next one might be the one that would that would force the cracks to open up a bit but unfortunately for him uh, Roglic and uh, and and Mass just moved away from him and he couldn't hold the wheel and uh, that was probably paying the price for the number of attacks in relatively quick succession but I think Daniel I mean you tell me about the climb I mean it seemed to me that it kind of eased up a bit from that point on and, and that's when you know Yates was trying to make something happen on the bit of the climb that suited him and suits his style best and uh, you know again without having driven the climb and, and seen it close up I mean Roglic looked like he was just making that effort at the point that he thought, right, doesn't want to get it out of hand. And Richard, your your, your phrase "motored across" will get the conspiracy theorists and the tinfoil hat wearers um, twitching. But I mean, it was really, really impressive. It's the most impressive moment of the welter so far, I thought. And uh, it, watching that back, if any of the any of his rivals do, you would think, well, what what can we do to isolate him? I mean, isolating him is not going to work, is it, on this form? It doesn't make won't make any difference. He'll just ride across gaps. Yes, Lionel, it's a it's a funny climb. I mean, first of all, first thing to say, which I'm sure you saw on TV, it's in a, a fascinating and part of Spain in terms of the the landscape. We talked about the all the spaghetti westerns that have been filmed here, but it really is. Um, well, I wouldn't say lunar but it is quite otherworldly um, both well this climb and its sort of next door neighbor the uh, Calar Alto which has been quite a famous climb in the Vuelta España and well you saw the, the zigzags the hairpins from the helicopter shots and we were slightly well we, we kind of anticipated a lot of riders coming in after the finish and saying that the wind had played a big role because it was whipping around and there were at different points in the afternoon it was very strong and then it, it calmed down but Sepkus, for example, said the wind wasn't really that much of a factor. But as you say, Lionel, the, there are sections on this climb, um, there are certain hairpins where it does flatten out and you can pick up speed. Other sections where you could kind of see on TV that it, they were really reduced to a bit of a bit of a crawl. Um, but what did you make of, of Roglic's, well, after he went across to, to Mass and after he really... Well, made that move, which I suppose determined the outcome of the stage from a GC point of view. Were you guys surprised that he didn't try to to twist the knife um, there, or, or or that he couldn't twist the knife? It, it looked at that point as though he had certainly more power than anyone else on the mountain. But he, you know, essentially rode in with mass, and then well, Julie roglified him on the line and got and got the <laughs> the, 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 the obligatory six <laughs> bonus seconds. But yeah, yeah part, part of me yeah. part of me thinks that he possibly could have forced the issue a little bit more. I, I don't think we're going to hear it, but your int interview with Stephen Kreiswick at the start was quite interesting because you asked him whether they, as a team, were riding a bit more conservatively. Um, and, you know, he's won the Vuelta twice. And as you say, Daniel, he has tended to 
to dip a little in the final week. And it could be that they're using this Vuelta to try and to try and do it a bit differently because it did look to me like he obviously had a lot in the tank. When I said he motored across, I didn't mean that he literally motored across. <laughs> oh, it was no. just a turn of phrase. Um, he he you know he rode he seemed. I don't know whether he was capable of, of turning the knife or uh, accelerating or turning his motor back on when he was with Mass, but he seemed content to ride in with him until the, the Roglification just before the line. And Mass likewise was content to ride with Roglic because it was kind of in their interest. You know, I said the other day that I felt that uh, Superman riding with Roglic, with Mass having been dropped the other day, was perhaps not the best use of his resources. but. The two of them were away. Roglic is clearly the strongest rider in the race. Mass was riding up to second overall. Um, he's only 28 seconds down. He's still very much in it, and it was a good opportunity for him today to to, to get a bit of a bit of time on other riders um, and worry about Roglic later. Um, but it could be that Roglic and his team are almost. Uh, experimenting a little bit this Vuelta I don't know um, to, to try and see if by conserving a little bit and not going for not making all these big efforts throughout the, the race and throughout the first couple of weeks whether it leaves him with a little bit more in the tank at the end of the race Rich should we hear a bit of old Rog and let our listeners do a bit of psychoanalysis of their own uh, yeah it was uh, definitely a full gas of racing uh, through, through the whole day super hard stage hard climb uh, so uh, yeah uh, I'm happy I'm now on the top and uh, looking forward for the rest day for tomorrow <laughs> uh, it was uh, quite an action uh, uh, all the time uh, yeah it was hard and uh, yeah, just luckily I, I had the legs that I could be here uh, yeah with the best climbers what do you think about those Ineos tactics one after another Yates was going and going for sure they are not uh, comfortable uh, because yeah for me we can go more easy uh, up, but uh, yeah is <laughs> is not like that and uh, yeah uh, it was full gas full gas of racing and yeah like i said luckily i i had it that uh, i could be there were you surprised that uh, bernal uh, lopez and carapaz stayed behind that they couldn't stay with you yeah it's racing uh. sometimes you you win something sometimes you lose something and yeah today uh, we gained something yeah does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thanks very much indeed to Science in Sport, our sponsor since 2016, the Giro d'Italia. In 2016, they began their association with the cycling podcast, and it continues to this day, and we're very grateful to them for their support. If you would like 25% off your Science in Sport products, go to scienceinsport.com. And at the checkout, enter the code SISCP25. SISCP25. Um, somebody who seemed perfectly fueled today was Damiano Caruso, who went 
clear from a pretty strong break. You know, there were some good riders in that group. Went and, and you know, continued a trend that we've seen in in the recent couple of seasons of riders really taking on from from a long way out. You know, seventy odd kilometers. He went away on his own and never looked back. I mean, the the lead went out to a minute, and uh, then it went. You know, when Ineos Grenadiers stopped their work on the front of the bunch, it it began to go out to four or five minutes, and at one point it looked like he might be riding into a very high position on GC. But regardless of the fact that he, he you know, he didn't didn't move up as, as much on GC as, as it looked at one point he might do. He's up to 15th overall. It was a phenomenal ride and a, and a great victory, wasn't it? Well, Rich, I was just going to say, you said it perfectly fueled. I mean, was he fueled on spaghetti? I did think after your uh, little nugget in yesterday's episode about this region uh, being famous for hosting the, the, the spaghetti western uh, films um, I didn't know this that it was that that name is because the directors were Italian did a, mm. did a bit of reading about that I mean Caruso really it was lights camera action from him today wasn't he, he sort of I mean he's Italian so he's probably always fueled, fueled on pasta well, I mean, yeah but he was the Sergio know. Leone of the of the final climb, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, it, it was uh, it was a very very well scripted and uh, very well performed um, move by him, wasn't it? Impressive. Guys, I talked earlier about Ineos smelling blood and um, with relation to Jumbo Visma, but it was interesting just in the, the sort of timing of Caruso's effort in that breakaway. To me, it looked as though he, well, he timed his move perfectly and. It came at the, at the crucial moment because the, the bunch behind was smelling blood and it looked as though they were going to close on the breakaway in quite short order. But um, he, he then decided to, to make the move and, and the gap went out again pretty quickly. But it just underlined as well how the, the timing of sort of um, efforts within a breakaway is very important. It's not just about how many watts you produce over the course of the day, it's when you produce them. Uh, and sort of dangling bait and then snatching it away when the, the, the big sort of scary beast behind starts to snap and snot, starts to, to bite. And that's what Caruso did today with um, with great aplomb. He also spoke with great aplomb in his post-race interview in English. I didn't know he spoke English. Um, he did a nice round of interviews. So we're going to hear from him, I think, Damiano Caruso, and thereafter from his direct sportive, Goraj Stangli, who, well, discussed and um, touched on a, a, a bittersweet day for Bahrain victorious, mainly sweet because Caruso won the stage and Jack Haig moved up on general classification, but bitter in the sense that Mikel Lander, who was their leader coming into this Vuelta a España, has really fallen out of contention. It's an amazing feeling after the Giro. My goal was come here with, uh, for uh, Mikel in, uh, for the GC and uh, try to take one victory. Uh, the first goal was I had already a good victory and then I'm so happy but I feel sorry also for Mikel uh, but that is uh, the cyclism no? and uh, now we have Jack Egg he's he still riding good so from Monday we start with another race yeah let's say that uh, this is these are the days when uh, in one point I was enjoying seeing uh, Damiano in front winning and uh, suffering a bit seeing uh, suffering Mikel but let's say um, actually that uh, from this morning he complained a bit. He didn't have the best feelings. 
So we decided already and uh, mentioned a few guys to watch out on him because he's still a champion. He's still our, let's say, one of best riders and uh, we still want to support him as we did at, uh, till the end when he was dropped with, uh, with Wout Puls and uh, Mark Padun. Yeah, Damiano, what, what to say? Let's say that we, we plan to have one rider in front. It's not easy, as, uh, as he explained. To catch the break, he was actually, let's say, had the legs to go, plus a bit of uh, lucky to put it together. But from the peloton, they didn't left him uh, much space. I, I think he really reacted very well when he decided to, to go, to went away alone, to gain time in the middle part of the stage because normally on the last climb battle of GC riders then bring uh, this gap back and yeah he did everything perfect uh, and of course he had uh, really good legs today to be able to do it. and uh, yeah the, this is just uh, the first block of this Vuelta the hardest days are still coming uh, Jack show from the beginning good condition we are more looking day by day you know in front and we already got one objective we won the stage today with Damiano we are fighting uh, with uh, with Jack with uh, with uh, Gino and with Mikkel also for the more objectives from uh, from the rest day later so yeah let's uh, let's look forward day by day and uh, uh, let's say that we we have uh, we have positive thinking and uh, in these guys um, Jack attacked, it was his attack that really finished Bernal off or Bernal really got dropped after that. Was that an order from you or was that something that Jack decided to do himself? Yeah, it's difficult to take these decisions because from the car it's also difficult to know how guys are feeling. But let's say that Jack was in good position because Damiano in front, he has good legs. Other guys had a battle and he, had, he just... Uh, control the situation and let's say that finale last uh, five case of climb fit to him because it's less steep and uh, yeah he did uh, he made good decision to try the legs and once we once he saw that uh, he uh, that Bernal was dropped he just continued it's, it was not his goal to drop him his goal was more to uh, limited the gap between uh, Roglic and uh, Lopez in front, or Mas in front, sorry. I've spoken about uh, Ineos Grenadiers, Jumbo Visma, um, and the fact Roglic is, is the strongest in the race, but the, the two other teams who are uh, in an interesting position now, certainly Movistar with uh, Mas and Lopez second and third, and still, still really in, in the fight. It's a great shame that Alejandro Valverde crashed out the other day because... You know, he he could have perhaps uh, ha- had a part to play on that final climb and and helped make Roglic's life a little bit more difficult. Perhaps who knows? We'll never know. But Jack Haig as well. I mean, you know, I, I was curious to see what he would do at this race because he made a fantastic start at the Tour de France, crashed out on stage three, didn't race between the Tour and the Vuelta, and I think came into this race really uncertain of his own condition. Didn't have the easiest of starts, but then got in that big breakaway the other day and moved right back up in GC. And he was the only rider who did that, who backed it up today and looked better than he's looked at any point so far in this Vuelta, which must be enormously encouraging for him. He's up to fourth overall and has a real shot at aiming for the podium, at least. You know, he's presumably now the leader of that team. They've still got lots of cards to play, in fact, up there. 
Um, so could still have a, a major a major impact on the race. And Haig might might be a rider who gets better as the race goes on. Well, yeah, you mentioned Movistar there and what they will do and the, the absence of Valverde. So it's just Mass and Lopez. I say just Mass and Lopez. I mean that's a pretty handy um, pair of riders to have. Both have experience at the the top end of GC, deep into Grand Tours, uh, but Mass has now got the upper hand he's shown that he is the strongest uh, and i just wonder whether you know that was all about timing really wasn't it because lopez reacted first today um mass reacted best um but what do they do now how do they turn the screw on primoz roglic i mean it's the the big question that they'll be asking themselves and it's not uh, it's not speculative to to look ahead at the remaining mountain stages and ponder what they can do because in a way lopez is just that little bit too close to really be that perfect foil. He's not going to be allowed any more leeway or movement than masses. And I suppose the job will be to try to um, isolate Roglic so that they can hit him one-two. And, and hopefully, if it's just those two against Roglic and there's no Sepkus lurking around to close gaps and help out, you know, that's got to be their best chance, hasn't it? I think, Chaps, they just need to bide their time, really. And I think... Roglic, although he has a decent advantage, and even today after the stage he was talking about the final time trial, it's much, much too close for comfort. And uh, it's not only the Movistar rider who are too close for comfort, it's also the likes of Jack Haig and even going further down general classification. And I think, you know, they will give him, Movistar will give him the heebie-jeebies if if Mass and Superman will remain as close as they currently are there's there's so much more climbing to come even down to well if we look ahead to the penultimate day in Galicia which is not one of the big mountain stages that's been flagged up but it's up and down all day and you know we've seen Movistar try sometimes fail sometimes succeed in in sort of staging ambushes on on days like that in the past and i think you know if they get to the second rest day in a similar position to what they're in now they'll be absolutely delighted and i don't think primoz roglic should be particularly comfortable in that position uh, i think they've they are riding really well masses in the form of his life he's also you know in a great mood he's not someone who's particularly um, who particularly enjoys media duties and so on, but he was very chipper tonight when he came into the mix zone. They're, the only sour note for them today was that they lost an, they've lost another rider, uh, Johan Jacobs, who I talked about a bit in the first week. He was mainly here to to patrol his or patrol the the GC department in his team on the flat days, but um, he abandoned today. So they're a couple of men down, which won't help i think carlos verona is riding really well he mm. he finished f- pretty high up today he's not you know one of the top 10 or 15 climbers ordinarily in the vuelta but i think he was inside the top 20 today and we saw the other day he was really strong as well so that counts as well just the the form that the the guys you do have um are in yeah he looks to be in in great form actually and is a real asset for them potentially i mean you look at last year and remember Roglic had had quite you know it's all relative with Roglic but he had quite a tough time on the on the angry Lou night um and he was you know 26 seconds down on Carthy uh, 10 seconds down on Mass you know and and if he has a little a little wobble like he had on the angry Lou to give it its proper name um 
on that occasion, you know, Mass was able to take some time. And, and on a, a tough climate like that, Mass, Mass could certainly be there. So could Lopez. Um, it's, ext- it's, a, it's a very dangerous uh, situation for, for Roglic at the moment in that, in that respect. I mean, Mass and Lopez both look to be riding really, really well. And while they're there, it's a, it's a threat. And Rich, today didn't really allay all doubts. We sort of started the, the episode today talking about Ineos's feelings that the Jumbo Visma one weren't as strong as they maybe have been in the past or they maybe should be. And Sepkus, I don't think he's in his absolutely best form. I think his GC position at the moment is is relatively misleading. He's still in the top ten, but uh, and you know they'll be saying Jumbo Visma will be saying, well, we've got two cards as well. But I think I would rather have. Um, a, a Superman Lopez in terms of providing a real threat on the GC than, than Sepp Kuss at the moment. I wonder, just one factor, uh, Roglic only did a week of the Tour de France, didn't he, of course, pulling out when they got to uh, got to his home stage in Teen. Mass finished sixth in the Tour, Lopez pulled out a couple of days from the end of the Tour but has ridden you know, most of a three-week race already. You know, Conventional wisdom would say, well, Roglic is... is fresh and maybe that will be the thing that means that he doesn't have the 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 late stage wobbles um that we have seen from him in the past because Richard as you mentioned there you know he did it wasn't just on the angry Lou was it he was he was under a lot of pressure from Carapaz right to the very end of the Vuelta last year which of course you know was at the end of a really strange period of racing it was only 18 days you know those three days might not make much difference but um you know very different circumstances but i do think of the top three at the moment you know roglic is you know he shouldn't he shouldn't be sort of as fatigued um at that sort of you know deep level having uh had a relatively light summer indeed well it's still all to play for uh, it's a rest day tomorrow and uh we're, we're actually giving you the day off daniel uh, we normally do a press conference uh, on rest days we're not doing that on this rest day we will do that next rest day for the second rest day when I'll be back out in Spain uh, we'll do that we are releasing an episode tomorrow well we're releasing two episodes tomorrow um, we can release three well, Ritz because I've got a kilometer zero uh, alright okay it. well it'd be much. unusual to release two episodes of kilometer zero on the same day um, but we will we will release our the latest installment of our audio diaries tomorrow as kilometer zero and there'll be the August episode of the cycling podcast Femina, including an interview with the Olympic World Race champion Anna Kiesenhofer, who I interviewed last week, and uh, I found it absolutely fascinating. She's a really interesting character, and uh, that is out tomorrow. Um, we're gonna we're gonna be uh, delivering more kilometer zeros than originally advertised as well. We've got some some additional episodes, so uh, lots to come up. Had what have we had so far? We've had had the Slovenians. We've had Mark Padun. Uh, I've got Fabio Aru coming. Audio the and the audio diaries. We've got Fabio Aru coming. We've got we've got Scott Thwaites uh, one coming as well. Lots lots to come. Lots to come as we get into get into the second week of the Vuelta. Well, just before we go tonight, let's hear the latest from our audio diarist James Knox, one of three audio diarists, of course, along with Pavel Sivikov and John Bow. Uh, you'll hear more from all of them in tomorrow's episode of Kilometer Zero. But James certainly ready for the rest day. Let's hear how he got on on stage nine. Well, made it to the rest day, which is uh, very, very appreciated. I am uh, in bed, pretty destroyed right now. Yeah, today was really, really hard, and I didn't do anything. Scary, in fact. I had no ambition. I rode yesterday, um, sort of given the green light just to 
can't say take the day off because that was kind of impossible but just to uh, not worry about the break quite clear i didn't have the legs as of yet well, let's hope that changes to do anything on a on a brutal day like today so floated about the first hour was very fast and then uh, and then it sort of started going up and down up and down and there's some crashes really dusty slippery south of spain roads there's a little bridge before a town maybe about an hour and a half in and Andrea crashed and he crashed pretty hard. I wasn't far behind him, but I grabbed some brake also and felt my back wheel sliding. I just managed to sort of slide my way through uh, unscathed, but that caused a big split. This is all before like the first KOM, so that really sort of kicked it off to be honest because it was already full noise for a while at this point. People were trying to get in the brake and yeah, and they still went hard and a lot of the big favourites had to sort of chase very hard to get back to the front. I didn't get back to the front and ended up in a group out the arse quite early on there different guys did some big burners getting very ambitious to get back to the front but in the end we got over the the first climb of the day and some of the guys most notably load jumbo visma ineos movie star guys in the back who needed to be in the front to help the teammates just pulled on the valley and we all came back um but we all came back and then we started that yeah that long long 30 kilometer i'm not sure what the name of that one was for i was just seeing signs all day for Villa Fique or how, whatever it was, you know, big mountains out of Almeria. And yeah, I felt better at that moment, you know, I got back in, it was still very hot, but no stress. Ineos turned the gas on, um, hung in for a little bit, didn't want to kill myself, so just, yeah, when it was thinking, I was getting all strung out, called it a day, dropped backwards, found a bit of a group, kept riding. Just, the day was so hard that we were just slogging away on climbs all day, sweating, hot, grabbing bottles from the side of the road, pouring water over my head. And just that frustrating situation of been out the arse of the race and then guys still plugging away a bit harder than you want you than you want them to. So yeah, I just felt like I was groveling, just hurting, just hurting all day, just cowing down the get the kilometers to the finish, but it's taking forever. A couple of fast, tricky descents, an extra little climb and then the last one to the line. Yeah, I was in a world of pain to be honest. So, yeah, a little bit demoralised, you know, gotta say. Just surviving today was was hard enough so that that doesn't paint a very pretty picture does it when all i did was survive and i still had a hard day thankfully it's a rest day tomorrow had a little beer on the on the bus i'm a little bit woozy now went straight to my head probably a bit dehydrated maybe wasn't the smartest idea but everyone else was doing it so i thought i'd join in now i'm on the bed just feeling ready ready to ready to sleep to be honest so take it easy tonight hopefully get some good sleeping roll around tomorrow for 45 minutes sit by the pool for a little bit and there's not much else to do keep you updated see how we get on where are you staying tonight, Daniel? I am staying in Almeria, which will be, well, it's a, a town I'm not particularly familiar with. We're staying right in the middle of town, uh, so hopefully, well, there'll be some there'll be some sightseeing tomorrow, um, something we don't usually do when we're on mm, major lovely. tours. Well, I'll probably head for the hills as well, Rich, as you know, um, I like to, like to rewild on rest Rewild days. on rest days. <laughs> Go foraging. You're not going to pop round to Rocketus de Mar and, I don't know, help out, to, you know, maybe pick, no. some, pick some tomatoes from the greenhouses. I must say, Lionel, when we visited Rocketus de Mar three or four years ago, didn't leave a particularly uh, good impression on me. Uh, there was the option of staying there for the rest day, and I've chosen to go to Almeria instead. Well, enjoy, enjoy, and uh, we will uh, we'll hook up with you again on Tuesday as the Vuelta gets underway again. In the meantime, have a good evening, Daniel. Thanks, chaps, likewise. Thanks, Lionel. Cheers, guys. La, la, la.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.